Hello there, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. I'm Ben T. Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And today we are not talking to you from our lovely Los Angeles audience uh, audience office at all. Um, I am currently in Denver attending something called Series Fest, which is a fun little festival devoted to te- uh, original original pilots and uh, new upcoming shows. And Ben, where are you? I'm in St. Louis. I'm uh, St. Louis, Missouri, just because it's a great city and I wanted to be here, so I came here. You did it, man. Yeah, I accomplished my goal. You're in a place now with that proper weather and everything. Yeah, it's. I'm in a flood warning right now, so if I just disappear, it's because I've been washed away. Which is sad, but also very exciting. I'll survive. I've seen the River Wild and, and, and uh, Hard Rain and a few other flood-esque kind of movies. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> well... Uh, our topic for today stems to the timing that, Ben, you'll be able to actually confirm when this is, because you actually know the calendar. Uh, but we're in the thick of Emmy season. Uh, I've been talking to a ton of people who are hoping for a chance at a nomination in mid-July when the nominations actually come out. But right now, the nomination process has started. Yes, yes. We, uh, we're right smack dab in the voting period for nominations. Which, ran, which runs from June 15th to June 26th. That's why if you're following the trades or, or a variety of other <laughs> variety of other publications, uh, then you'll see a lot of interviews, a lot of uh, kind of seemingly random stories about shows that maybe aren't on the air right now, and maybe you're not watching, and you're like, why are people talking about this? It's because it's Emmy season. People want to get attention drawn to these specific shows, these specific people. We're doing the same thing. Like Liz mentioned, we're running our uh, Consider This series right now with a bunch of interviews for people that we really hope will get get nominated. Maybe they don't have the best chance. Maybe they do. But we want to draw attention to those people because they're great. They did a great job this year, and we really loved them, and hopefully that'll, that'll transition over to the Emmys. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem, of course, with our current, uh, you know, current television ecosystem you know as as great as it is that television is now a year-round thing we have no shortage of shows to talk about ever at all times uh it does mean that you know something that got released even just a couple of months ago like better call Saul, could easily get overlooked just because it's not the new hot fresh thing yeah there's a lot of people i mean a lot of networks i should say that, that try to schedule their shows specifically for emmy season knowing that it's going to be in the public consciousness and it's going to have it. Mad Men capitalize on that for years. I mean, they, they eventually kind of slid into the slot that they're in now, and they're really hoping that that April time slot pays off for them in this comeback kind of year since they've been snubbed of late. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very hard thing to do these days because there's so many shows out there. There's just too many programs to let alone honor them all, but, I mean, to, to see them all and pay attention to all of them and then get the Emmy voters to actually consider it. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to try to do a little bit of that today as well on this very podcast. It's called the Pipe Dreams Wish List, things that probably won't happen, but gosh darn it, wouldn't it be nice if they did, uh, event. Also known as the Ben will flip his shit on Emmy's morning if this happens, which is July 16th, by the way. So if you hear the primal screams... Uh, emanating from the Midwest on July 16th, you'll know what you'll know something either good or bad has happened. Right, I wasn't washed away in the flood. It was a good thing this time. 
Ben, why don't we start off? So we had, we each kind of came up with three different things we really hope happen on Emmy uh, Emmy nomination morning, and I'm going to make Ben you go first. Uh, what was what's one thing you really want to see happen? Well, one one person that I've been in full support of for uh, a long time now, honestly, is Ava Green. And um, she isn't eligible, or she wasn't eligible last year, despite Penny Dreadful having technically started during the qualification period. There wasn't enough of the first season that aired, so this one could very easily get lost. However, season two is airing right now, so I'm hoping that people watch season two, and whether they liked her more in season one or liked her as much in season two, they'll get her, like, they'll check her name on the ballot and get Ava Green nominated because she is just a powerhouse. And it's, it's a genre that gets largely ignored in both film and TV, the horror genre, but uh, Penny Dreadful is just so artfully done, and she hones in on that kind of attitude that the show has. I, I honestly couldn't think of another actress I'd love to see nominated for Best uh, or Outstanding Dramatic Performance. You know, it's, it's so interesting, too, because she is someone who I feel like, I don't really know what happened with her career, because she's someone I would have pegged as, you know, pushing further into film and actually really, you know, because she's so good in the film she's been in and she's such a dynamic actor. She, I mean, she has like a movie star quality to me and the fact that she can't, she's struggling to get noticed on Penny Dreadful. Like, I, I, something about it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. I mean, she's definitely had such mainstream blockbuster success at the movies and at the very least, people will appreciate how gorgeous she is I mean usually that translates into viewers but uh, but yeah I, I mean I think part of it has to be that, that the horror genre just kind of gets shoved to the side when it comes to these awards you know competitions but uh, but I mean green just it's it's work like I've never seen before I mean especially in, in the in the first season uh, that seance scene is one for the ages and I I challenge anybody to come up with a, another uh, another example as powerful as, as, as changing as challenging as, as that one was uh, from any of the nominees frankly yeah uh, I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a segue to one of my things uh, because I think it's a perfect segue yeah. Spe- speaking of speaking of great actors uh, who whose work maybe isn't taken as seriously as it could be due to Due to the fact of the genre of its show, uh, I'm, it's it's a very tired old saw, but it's worth shouting once again that Tatiana Maslany has never been nominated for an Emmy, and that is dumb. And everyone involved with that should feel really dumb about it. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I I could not agree more. And it's like you said, it's one of those genres that gets overlooked. But then you look, if you do look at the body of work in front of you, I mean just the challenge of portraying so many different characters, let alone how well she does it, you would think merits consideration. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, the thing I will say to to be fair and honest about everything is that Orphan Black is not necessarily the best show ever made. It's a lot of fun. When they they have they do a lot of really interesting stuff with the premise, but you know, I've never... I don't necessarily know if I, I don't consider it must. I don't necessarily consider it must see viewing. I just think, but the basic fact of her acting accomplishment is what deserves attention, and it's why we break. It's why we don't just say these are the best shows on television. This, this is why we break things out into categories so that something that maybe isn't excelling in all categories can at least get recognized for the things it's doing right. 
Yeah, and what you're speaking to is, is again, just a large, well-known problem that any award show seems to have. I mean, not any, but any of the popular ones like the Oscars, the Golden Globes, uh, the Emmys, all of them, they, they definitely pay more attention to shows that are good rather than performances that are good. Like, if you have a great performance like Tatiana's in, in Orphan Black, if the show isn't as respected as Mad Men or, or you know, any other well-respected drama that's getting nominated this year, they're not going to give it as much attention. And, and that's not exactly, that's not fair at all, especially with the way that things are defined as categories. Like this is an outstanding actress in a dramatic role. That's not saying that the show is perfect, but she is one of the five best out there. And I mean, that's really hard to argue. Is the is the acting category this year? They're 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 still stuck in five, right? Or is it six? Oh man, that's a good question, Liz. I'm pretty sure they're still stuck in five. I mean, whatever it is, like, well, there there are always going to be snubs, no matter how many how many category people you add on to it. Right. They definitely expanded this year with the overall race. The the, uh, the the series, the best dramatic series, best comedy series, now actually have seven nominees, um, which is which is a lot. But even then, you're right. I mean, we're still going to be facing uh, a, a day when a nominations day when people get very upset over X, Y, and Z not making the cut. I mean, do we follow? Would we follow this stuff if we didn't enjoy getting upset over X, Y, and Z? I'm sorry, you're going to have to say that again? Oh, uh, I was saying, would we follow this stuff if we didn't enjoy getting upset over X, Y, and Z? Honestly, I mean, I don't. I can't speak for everybody. I am an award show devotee. I love these things, but I don't love the feeling that I get when I see someone who gets snubbed. I don't want to necessarily spend all my time talking about that. I think there is worth in doing so, because if they're not going to draw attention to something, then I should. But discussing the corrupt nature of the, of the industry is always something that just makes me kind of sad. And I'd much rather spend my time just honoring things that deserve to be honored, which is what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's a, hard, it's a hard thing for me to think about. I hear you. So what's, what's your next thing you really want to see happen? Well, the next thing is, is pretty, it's pretty general. Is I, um, I may have mentioned this maybe once on the show before. But Casually. I really, really love this little HBO series called The Leftovers. And I don't think it has a shot at just about anything this year. I, I, I feel like there's definitely a lot of people who are deserving to be nominated from the show. I feel like the show itself deserves a nomination among the drama series. I, I, I hope that like Ann Down, Ann Dowd and Carrie Coon could sneak in there because they've definitely got the best shot amongst them. They had a lot of attention drawn to them and a lot of respect paid, especially in 2014. Uh, both of them had just outstanding years. So I'm hoping that that can, that can last and that can translate. But the fact that the show aired last summer and the fact that season two isn't going to start until well after this nominations period is over uh, is definitely troublesome. So I really hope that people give a chance to the leftovers, even though a lot of people who didn't like it described it as depressing, which is something that isn't, isn't something you want to watch necessarily if you've got a flood of screeners sitting in front of you. But, uh, but The Leftovers is definitely one that's worth it, and I hope it gets everything that it could be nominated for. I'm curious. Uh, is Do you feel like it's a writing contender at all? I mean, it could be, but again, a lot of those go towards series that are well-respected. I mean, it's it has to... I think it has to have a stronger presence 
overall to break into some of to even that category. I think it would need need a little bit more working for it. So it, it I mean, it just comes down to kind of where HBO is throwing its muscle, and then where uh, where the viewers or where the uh, the voters kind of decide deserves it. So I, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting. No, it's interesting. It's, I was just, I was just, the thing, the reason I mentioned it is I was reading something yesterday and I had forgotten that uh, the one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when it was running, got very, very, few, very, very little awards attention. But it did get a nomination for writing uh, for one episode from its fourth season. And it, 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 it's, it was a reminder that sometimes the writing category is a place where an outlier can maybe get a little more, a little more notice. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely examples of that where it could happen, but I mean, I'd, I'd speak to a show like The Americans, which so far has earned three Emmy nominations, and two of them are for Margot Martindale as a guest actress, and the other is for main title theme music. And frankly, if The Americans isn't getting nominated for writing, then it's hard to imagine any other, you know, show that isn't dominating, that isn't, that is considered a snub in a lot of major categories, breaking its way into the writing field. So what do you think? Like four nominations for Mad Men and then one for uh, Game of Thrones? God, I mean, I'm not going to complain about Mad Men, but if it got four, that would be that would be impressive. I was exaggerating, but I feel like it. it yeah. I, I, I'm not going to be so shocked when I see two, at least two Mad Men episodes nominated this year. Well, yeah, I mean, Breaking Bad, you know, especially in its final year last year, just dominated a lot of those categories where it could earn multiple nominees. So, uh, so if they, if the Academy turns its favor toward Mad Men, which hopefully it does, then, I mean, it could hit four. It could, it might not be a joke come July 16th. Who knows? So, I, I think it's... over there, Liz. So, yeah, I think it's my turn. Uh, and I have another acting thing, which is, I want, I would love to see at least one of the female cast members of, of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt get nominated for something. Uh, whether that's Carol Kane as Best Guest Actress, that's uh, uh, Jane Krakowski as Best Supporting, or that's Ellie Kemper as Lead. If I just see one of them get some attention, I will be really excited. Yeah, Kemper's got a good chance. Krakowski does too. Actually, all three of them, I feel like, are definitely in the mix. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is one that people are pretty high on. Uh, I mean, from a prognosticator standpoint, a lot of people are predicting that that's going to happen. Not necessarily all of them. But, uh, I mean, you might have a, have a happy morning in front of you on July 16th. That's awesome. I mean, I, if I have to prioritize them, I would say Ellie Kemper, I think, is the one who really... I mean, the whole show is carried by her, essentially. It would not work without her, and she really makes it something special. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, Kemper, if you don't like that performance for one reason or another, there's no way you could access the show. Yeah. So that's a, that's a critical piece, and she's definitely deserving. I'll be interested to see how it plays out. I mean, last year people were pretty heavy into Orange is the New Black winning, and, and it, it Netflix got shut out famously or infamously, rather. Uh, so I'll be interested to see kind of how much progress has been made in the last year and what Netflix has done to kind of change its strategy and earn more recognition on, on its own end. That's a good point because I mean, of course, House of Cards broke in broke into the Emmys game pretty well, uh, largely driven by the talent involved. Orange is the New Black, Genji Cohen has you know Weeds did I think do decently at the Emmys for 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 several of its years, but kind of fell out of the mix. So 
Uh, but Tina Fey, meanwhile, is, remains a star. So it, yeah. so Tina it could. Loves her. Yep, Academy loves her. So maybe that'll maybe that'll transfer uh, transfer with, with it. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully they can keep the nominations going. Netflix doesn't seem to have as big of a problem getting into the race as winning it. But uh, when they've got so many more shows contending this year, it's going to be a different thing. Plus, you know, Orange is the New Black is now competing as a drama, so Netflix really needs to find a comedy that they can push, and that seems to be Unbreakable Kenny Schmidt right now. Okay, so, uh, Ben, what's your third and final thing? My third and final push is a rather despondent, under Parks and Recreation to get any sort of recognition outside of Amy Poehler. And Amy Poehler deserves it. She deserves to win. I'll be pushing for her to win when we make this plea, you know, come September, talking about the actual winners. But uh, but can Nick Offerman at least get in on this race? I mean, the guy is an icon. The, the mustache has changed television. The, 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 the embodiment of Ron Swanson has just been a symbol for manhood for seven years now. Can we please pay some respect to the guy who, who established it? I mean, <laughs> it's an incredible performance. It's incredibly funny. It's inspired more jokes, more iterations of anything than I could imagine. I I am I would have loved to see uh, Rob, Rob Logan a nomination for his role as Chris Traeger, but since he's kind of out of the mix now, please, Nick Offerman, just, just get in there. I also I can't agree more. Like it, Nick Offerman is. I think the thing with Nick Offerman is like he he was you know he's an icon, but he also really created humanity in that character that I think goes unrecognized. You know, there's there's a there's a depth to him, and especially in that third season, in that third season, in that seventh season, where you get to see him be really flawed and vulnerable and make you know regret decisions he's made that's a valuable that's a that's a you know he was given great material to work with he performed it beautifully you know that's the sort of performance that should be recognized absolutely and i I think you're right i think you're kind of talking about how a lot of who ron swanson is relates to who nick offerman is i mean nick offerman has a woodshop nick offerman does a lot of these things and plays into the role and, and pulled a lot of uh, you know inspiration for the character from himself from, his, from that person. But like you said, he's gone on such a journey as a character and he's taken him to such different admirable levels over the seven seasons. And seven, the seventh season, as much as I found flaws in it, none could relate to the acting, none could relate to the performance, and, and Offerman really did stand out. So I, I hope he I hope you can find a way in, even though it's it's really unlikely, which is sad. Very sad. But what's your last one, Liz? What do you got? Well, my last one is a pretty big long shot, I think. But I feel pretty strongly that of all the comedies I watched last year, none really stuck with me like the comeback did. It's It's not a show for everyone, necessarily. And it does get so mean. But it also is just... It really... I think this season, the second season, was able to take the original concept and really improve upon it and find new layers and find new ways to kind of talk about a lot of important stuff in terms of Hollywood and television and culture. And it's anchored by this amazing performance by Lisa Kudrow, and it's worthy, I think, of a Best Comedy nomination. Oh, I couldn't agree more, yeah. I mean, it... 
I feel like we keep talking about the same thing in that if just if we just knew that all the academy members watched everything that was eligible, or at least everything that was, you know, prioritized by the culture at large, then I think this would be a much better result. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff that they're not going to watch because, A, they, they saw it before, which they did enjoy. They, they come back down on the landing level before. But uh, if it is hard to watch in any way, you know, that's not something that a lot of voters are keen to dig into, and then they'll just keep nominating the stuff that they know they like from before. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's tough. Oh man, I'm just thinking right now about the comeback and like that the, that final episode, and how how striking it is. Like how just how they make a really make a really bold choice and it manages to work really well. Here's hoping that people got to it. Here's hoping that either that's the one they sent out and it could work, you know, it could work on its own for those viewers, or they were able to, you know, really appreciate what was going on in the series as an entirety and get to that last episode so they can honor it. You know, it's, that's so interesting, because I, I, one of the things I asked Julian Fellows about, uh, the creator of Downton Abbey, when I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, was, you know, he picked uh, the episode he picked to submit for writing consideration was episode eight, which was kind of a... It kind of felt like a random choice. Like, it was technically the season finale of the... Ser- of It was technically the season finale of the fifth season, because they have... Then they followed it up with a Christmas special... But, you know, all that really happens in it is, like, is one of the girls gets married, and uh, then they have a lot of dinner parties. I know I just described a lot of Downton Abbey to you. Um, <laughs> but, and I asked him, so I asked him specifically why he chose that one, and he, his answer was that it had to do a lot with, part of it came down to, he, you know, introduced some Jewish characters and, like, talking about the casual anti-Semitism. Like, that was, that was what he thought, what his reasoning was. I want to include this one because I was, he was really proud of the way that the show was able to tackle that issue. And it wasn't ex- at all what I expected him to say. Yeah, the strategy in picking those episodes is really kind of fascinating to me. Even the ones they just screen for people at, uh, at the, at the you know, for your consideration screens that go on throughout Los Angeles. I mean, it, it's definitely a strategy. And I, honestly, going back to what you, a little bit of what you touched about with Fellows, when I spoke with the creators of The Americans, another show that's just been repeatedly snubbed, I proposed a theory in that uh, a lot of the older Academy voters who dominate you know, the majority of, of, the, of the voting body they lived through the Cold War. They, they don't want to think about Russians as being empathetic in any way or having to root for them or even feeling conflicted about that issue so maybe that's one of the reasons why it doesn't get the respect that it deserves because they just don't want to watch it and they said that that was a really interesting theory that they had before but they could see it working and, and I mean who knows why it's actually happening the way it is but it's we're just left here to sit in wonderment and hopefully draw a little bit more attention to these shows that the Academy doesn't want Remind me, Ben, what was it that they said Matthew Reese should do in order to improve their Emmy's chances? Well, Matthew Reese just isn't sleeping with the right people. Yeah. So he needs to find those Academy members and, and take them to Bone Town. <laughs> I mean, I think if Matthew Reese took you to Bone Town, it'd be a gentle, loving sort of Bone Town. I mean, I can't imagine any way that you wouldn't vote for him if not the show afterwards. That seems impossible to me. Yeah. Um,. Every every time I learn more about Matthew Reese, I like him more. Like he was 
you know, apparent, you know, there's that whole thing where he contributed a story to Archer this year. Which was tremendous. That was a great episode. Really worked out well. And he guest voiced on it, of course, which which he performed well there there too. Yeah, just because they were he was hanging out with Adam Reed at a Super Bowl thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the random connections and how they they pay off. But he just uh, he's taking he's taking some advantage as well. Like he's he's he saw that opportunity and nailed it. So hopefully he can see an opportunity with the voters and nail them. I mean, <laughs> whoa, rim shot, <laughs> phrasing. Uh, but yeah, so those I believe those were our six plus Emmys picks. We did, we did it, we did it really well. Um, phrasing again. <laughs> um, so then, I think we can wrap things up then. Uh, which by which I mean we'll be done talking in like ten, fifteen minutes or so. Then, uh, what was the best thing you saw last week? Uh, I don't really want to phrase it like that, but. The, the best new thing that I saw of late is the HBO, let's call it a dramedy, Ballers. <laughs> uh, having just lived through the ordeal of Entourage, along with Liz, which you all listened to uh, not that long ago, I wasn't really looking forward to this. As much as I love The Rock, I, I just I couldn't see this being anything more than a, than a sports version of Entourage. But they really gave it some stakes. They they didn't they didn't take it to a kind of level of, of, of nothing bad is going to happen and everyone's going to be fine. So just sit here and watch and enjoy the insanity and the and the frivolity of, of their lives. They really kind of addressed some issues that need to be addressed, and uh, I hope that they follow through on that. Again, I've only seen four episodes now, but they have an opportunity there to really discuss an issue that's important to not only the people who are watching the show, but to that community of, of the NFL at large in a way that people will actually listen. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of fans are tuning out the concussion drama because it's too hard for them to deal with and they want to love this sport without having anything interfere with that. And this show is taking a player's perspective on that problem and addressing it in a frank and honest matter. And I hope that they follow through. I, I don't know if they will. I don't have any indication to think that they wouldn't, but uh, I mean, we'll see where it goes. It's it's worth checking out. Awesome. Yeah, I, I've seen the first episode, and I remember I've, I remember liking it, but not getting super into it. But if you know, it it seems like it's something where between the rock and between everything you're talking about in terms of the issues that it's addressing, like the fact that it exists at all is kind of rem- remarkable. Yeah, that's a show that I'd actually in. in encourage people to maybe savor and, and binge watch or not not savor in that you watch one episode and you really think about it wait a week more like save and then binge watch it because I, I think it plays better if you just roll through it uh, which is very much the entourage style as well but uh, but yeah Liz what about you what was the best thing you saw last week I believe it's you know it's funny I had a bunch of different answers and I've changed mine from when before we started beginning this podcast uh I think the best thing I saw last week is this Amazon original series called uh, Catastrophe that we're currently I'm currently writing up now for review. And the thing with Catastrophe is it's this very it's this, it's this, you know it's basically like you know American man sleeps with British woman. Six weeks later, he finds out that he got her pregnant. Uh, decides to come back to England to try to make things work, and it 
it's a very mild, very low-key sort of British comedy, in, very much in that vein. But it's really anchored by the central relationship between the couple. It's the show was co-created by Rob Delaney and a nice lady named Sharon, whose last name I'm blanking on at this moment, but I will look up later. But it, the the two of them created the show together. They wrote the show together, and their chemistry really powers so much of it that it it becomes really watchable and enjoyable, especially whenever they're in the room together. It's a show I've been looking forward to checking out, and I, I after hearing you discuss it, you know, obviously before this, but also now, I'm, I'm, it's definitely on the list. It's definitely one I want to check out. Yeah, it's, it's, and I think there, there's a lot of aspects to it that make it interesting beyond that level, especially the part where Carrie Fisher is in it, and I love Carrie Fisher intensely. Of course, of course. Because I'm a human being with a heart. What can I say? Yeah. So, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, I, the next thing I'm looking forward to is honestly one I can't explain a good reason why because I haven't dug into it. I feel like it's a show that has a lot of potential, but I haven't examined it or I haven't even seen it um, on a level that would that would give me an indication that it could be as good as I hope it could be. But that's Scream, the new uh, the MTV show coming out based on the popular franchise of films, which I wasn't a huge fan of. I, I admired the first one and thought that it did some fun things, obviously changed the game a little bit, but the sequels always kind of seemed a little redundant or silly to me. Uh, but I feel like the show has a good chance of kind of breaking out, doing its own thing, and, um, and continuing a, a horror trope that's worth exploring, which is kind of that... Uh, Hollywood self-examination and then kind of kind of an, an audience examination to go along with that. I, I hope that they kind of dig into that. I mean, obviously, I hope they have a lot of fun with it, too, because it's a premise designed for that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing their interpretation of it. And MTV does some interesting stuff on the original side, so I, I don't put it past them to be able to pull something off like that. You know what I've been hearing I should check out is Finding Carter. I've heard that, too. I have, too. I need to see that. Yes. One of us will one day watch an episode of Finding Carter. We pledge it to you, podcast listener. We pledge it. You heard it here. Bring it back on us in a year if we haven't done it yet. Please. Um, and meanwhile, the next thing I'm looking forward to is I've seen a few episodes of it so far, and I want to watch more, is uh, HBO's The Brink, which is the... It's just, it's kind of, it's one of those things where I can't believe, I, I look at the HBO lineup uh, of this of, of this upcoming Sunday as we record this, and it's like, you know, Colin Farrell, Will, uh, Vince Vaughn, Rachel McAdams, uh, The Rock, and then Tim Robbins and Jack Black are starring in another show, and it's, it's like, how, how many more movie stars can HBO fit on Sunday nights? Well, they can fit at least one more, Liz, because you forgot about Taylor Kitsch, star of Battleship, John Carter. Yes. Oh, how could I have forgotten? I don't know. A great film, at least. Battleship. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Anyways, now that you've lost all respect for Ben, gentle <laughs> listener. Um, it's at the end of the show, so it's okay. I already listened to the beginning. Now they're just like, ah, okay, I won't tune in next week. <laughs> great uh, but yeah but the brink is, is um, it's a political comedy that has been getting a lot of comparisons to Dr. Strangelove it was in fact directly inspired by the creators uh, going to the Stanley Kubrick exhibit at LACMA like a couple years ago and seeing all the Dr. Strangelove stuff there uh, 
and realizing no one had kind of done a show like that before. So, and it's, you know, basically a lot, it's, it's, it's a big, big ensemble piece with a lot of moving pieces. And there's still manages to, there still manages to be a lot of interesting character stuff they're doing. And it's like one of those things where like, they introduced a they inter, there's a prostitute character who you meet almost immediately, but she's kind of fun and like well drawn and like for a character who has a very minor minor role to get like an interesting interesting patter like a, her own def- definitive personality, especially in comparison to like the way say prostitutes get treated on other HBO shows. I was really pleased. I was like, I like the prostitute in the brink. This is a good sign. Were you talking about like Veep or something? I don't- I'll follow. I, I, I was, that was a true detective joke. Oh! I know you refuse to acknowledge it. Exactly. But, uh, but no, I, I, uh, I haven't seen The Brink yet. It's definitely one that I'm excited about. It, it has that air of exactly what you're describing, where it just seems like a show that wants to deal with more, uh, more complexities than your average 30-minute comedy, so I, uh, I I admire kind of what it's striving for, and I hope that they can pull it off. It, it, it looks it looks good. It looks good. Yeah. So, I think that about wraps it up for today. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Ben T. Travers on Twitter, and you can find Liz at... What is it, Liz? L-I-Z-L-E-T. That's right, at Lizlet on Twitter. And uh, you can go to IndieWire.com to see what we think about television with your eyes. Or that, that's, that's ableist, I'm sorry, if you, if you do not see well with your eyes. And I'm sure you have other solutions for enjoying our work about our interviews and our features and our reviews of everything that's important to care about in television right now. Everything we can get to. Gosh, we can't get to it all. <laughs> Hopefully the TV Academy can Hopefully. So uh, thank you again for listening and keep watching television.